Hi, everyone. So good to see you guys tonight. Are any of the uh, uh, college people here from, from Monday night? Good to see you guys again. Uh, thanks for coming out again. Um, I love how it's so often, you know what, I'm just going to say every time. Every time I go and share at a church, which is often praise the Lord. The songs that are sung, oftentimes they're different songs, but every song is like, whoa, God, that's what you have me sharing tonight. Or, whoa, God, okay, I thought I was sharing that, but I'm seeing you're having me share this. Our God is so sovereign. He sees everything. He knows everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he loves us even still because he's not just a God that that loves. He is love, and it's love that changes us, right? It's love. I believe it was Martin Luther that says um, the law points to the, to the disease. The gospel gives the remedy. Oh, I, I, just, I just love the Lord. But, and I know you guys do too. You wouldn't be here tonight, right? And this is so exciting. This is the first time that Calvary Chapel Lynchburg Wednesday night service is three hours. How exciting is that? Woo! <laughs> but before I share a little bit of my testimony and then how we can share that love and the mercy and the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ with the LGBT community, I want to ask you guys a question first. What do we typically call 1 Corinthians chapter 13? The love chapter, amen. Have you ever noticed, though, that it starts off a little bit on a negative? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbals. And this is coming, Paul is talking right after he's, he's sharing with us what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. And I, I'm hearing that this is a, a church that uh, allows the gifts of the Holy Spirit, invites the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and, and asks for more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I love that so that you guys can move right on into 1 Corinthians 13, and allow the giftings in the Spirit of God to help you love and share in a way that's not wah, 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 or crash, crash, crash to a people that don't know Jesus. So as, as we're reading in 1 Corinthians 13, we move further down in the chapter, but I wanna ask you guys a question before I share this next verse. Do you guys believe the word of God is inerrant and, and you believe every word of God to be true? Well, praise the Lord, so do I. So then when we get to verse eight of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love never fails. So if you believe God's word to be true and you believe that love never fails, are you willing to love everybody and leave the rest to God? Because if his love never fails, then we can freely love and pray and minister to people in grace and truth with mercy and let the Lord do what the Lord does for his name's sake. He's never gonna do anything to hinder or, or put, uh, put a damper on his name. Us loving people right where we are isn't condoning someone's sin. It's loving someone in spite of their sin, which is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Amen? So um, I'm just going to share a little bit of my testimony tonight. I, I truly could. There is so much that I could share for a whole hour just on my testimony. But I believe the Lord wants to minister to you beyond that. You have a very uh, unique town here. I just heard that there are a lot of churches. There's one of, if not the biggest Christian college in the United States. There's people from all over the world here in your town. And so I want to share with you not just my testimony, but what are some of the things you can do to, to see and then minister to the LGBT community with both grace and truth. So um, if you wanna hear my full testimony, you can go to my website. It's outofegyptministries.org. Um, there's handouts 
Um, I think there's the website on there, and I also have some cards that you can snag. Uh, come up and talk to me afterwards, and it'll direct you to my website, and you can hear the full testimony along with many, many other messages, because there are, are a lot of things that God has led me to share. But just a little bit of, of who I was became, before I, be, I became a Christian, before I found out God was real and that he loved me. Um, I'm 55 years old, and I just say that so you know what type, uh, what type of culture I grew up in, what era I'm from. So I grew up in Western New York, a little, pretty much a small town, and I just played with the neighborhood kids because that's what we did back then, right? You didn't have two cars. Dad went out to work and mom stayed home generally. And so with my little group of neighborhood friends, I actually fit right in and was really comfortable with my neighborhood friends because they were all boys. And that worked for me because I thought I was a boy. I didn't think I was a boy because I was in a neighborhood with boys. I could have been dropped in the middle of a field someplace and would have thought I was a boy. Every thought that went through my brain, I thought was being filtered through a boy brain, so when I reached the age to realize that I wasn't a boy, I became very, very confused. I did not understand, it just didn't make sense to me. And so I became, fused, be, became confused and started um, having this deep, deep anger, like really deep anger. I was five years old and experiencing fits of rage from this answer, uh, from this anger. I, I had this body that seemed to be lying to me and I didn't know what to do with it. And so, uh, if, as you go to my website and hear my full testimony, you'll see that a lot of the things that I did and the decisions I made in my life from the time I was tiny until I was 36 when I was saved was taking matters into my own hand to make things either make sense or help me to alleviate the fear and the confusion I was experiencing. And one of those things that I did, one of the first things that I did was self-injury. I began to mar this body that seemed to be lying to me at five years old, and it stayed with me for a very long time. And then as I got a little bit older, I also realized that I had same-sex attraction. And I say that, that's important that I say, as I got a little bit older, because when I was in the life, when I was identifying as gay, along with many of my friends, if you were to ask us, or me, uh, hey, when did you know you were gay? The going age was always five. It's like, oh, I knew at five years old I was gay. But I didn't know I was gay at five years old. I had gender confusion that eventually led to dysphoria. I had gender confusion at five years old, but I didn't know I had same-sex attraction because I didn't know there was such a thing as sexual attraction at that age. It came when I hit puberty and my body had the right, you know, uh, hormones in it to know to begin to have uh, sexual awareness. And so um, when people share that they knew at five years old they were gay, what they're probably trying to convey and they don't even realize is that there was something happening at five years old that made them feel very different. And then as they got older, they realized they had same-sex attraction, and now they're using their adult brain to look on, back on what was happening when they were little, and they're using their adult thoughts to convey what they think they were experiencing at that age. So I'm a teenager, I wanted to date girls, and I, I didn't. I didn't do any of that because I knew I would be in the midst of abusive ridicule and I, I couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle ridicule because I had so many other things coming against me that I couldn't handle one more thing. So I just stayed isolated and alone. I didn't really hang out with much of anybody my own age anymore. It, it just was, people just didn't want to be around me. I was, I was that kid. The, the boys didn't want to hang out with me anymore because I was too much like them. The girls my age didn't want to hang out with me because I wasn't enough like them. So I became very isolated and taking matters into my own hands to cover that pain, I started drinking and doing drugs at 12 years old. Very heavily, so much so that by the time I was 14, I was already a drug addicted alcoholic. 
Then by the grace of God, I graduated high school and it was during that time that, that I tried adapting to what my parents and society expected of me. I tried to become more feminine and move the way, you know, I studied girls to try to move the way they were moving and dress the way they were dressing and, and, and it was just, it made me, uh, I'm just gonna put it this way, it made me feel like a liar. I felt like a liar within myself trying to do that, but, but I tried, and so that didn't work, and then through circumstances, I met a man that asked me to date him, so I said yes to dating him for a while, and then I eventually married him, because I'm like, aha, none of this other stuff is working to take away this unwanted same-sex attraction and this gender confusion. Nothing I'm doing in my own strength is taking it away, so maybe if I get married to a man, it'll take all of this away. I did not want it. This was not the way I wanted to live my life, and it wasn't because I picked up a Bible and said it was wrong. It wasn't because I went to church. It wasn't because Christians in my life were telling me it was wrong. I didn't have a Bible. I didn't go to church. I didn't know any of this except deep inside my heart was like, this, this is wrong. Nobody was talking about it back then. It wasn't conversations that you had at the dinner table, whether homosexuality was right or wrong or not. It's just, it was just a known thing in my heart. And so I'm like, well, getting married, this will certainly take it away. But it, it didn't. And when I realized it was actually making me worse, more angry, more confused, and even more dysphoric, I got divorced. I, I moved from where I was living to, uh, I was living in Florida, I moved up to New Jersey, and I came out of the closet and started identifying as gay. And for the first time in my life, I was actually comfortable identifying in the masculine. It actually brought me relief. And I needed relief. That's when I started experiencing, the only way I can describe it is freedom. I felt freedom for the first time in my life because I wasn't saying no to these guttural desires and these thoughts that I'd had for as long as I could remember. But please hear me when I say this, just because I felt free doesn't mean I was free. And please, I want you younger people to hear that, just because I felt free and my feelings were real and they were understandable but it doesn't mean that I was free and that's how deception works deception comes knocking on our door and we open up that door and and when we open it deception doesn't look like like the enemy himself like some icky gross creature with horns and blood dripping from his teeth and a, and a pitchfork saying hey I'm deception will you let me in Mm -mm. That's not how deception works. Deception comes knocking on your door and you open the door and it looks like the very thing that you think you need or it's the very thing that you, your heart is desiring and your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so we let it in and that's what was happening to me, the beginning of acting out on the seeds of deception that had been planted my whole life through circumstances. So now I was 20 years old and actively involved in the gay community, and over the years I dated different women and then eventually met a woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. I was like, this is it. I'm finally gonna find that happiness I've been waiting for my whole life. I never loved anyone like I loved her. I felt like she completed all the parts of me all the parts of me that were lacking even, which was a lot. She was the only person in the world that I trusted. I had trust issues. So my desire, of course, of course was to give her my whole heart, and I thought that I did, but what I didn't realize is there was a part of my heart that I could never give her, it was the part of my heart that was damaged, so severely damaged by 
the way people had treated me, the things that people had done to me, and by the way I had chosen to live my life. And looking back, now I know the way I had chosen to live my life actually damaged me, but I thought the choices that I was making in my life in that period of my life was actually bringing me life. But again, that's what deception does. So this part of my heart that I, that I thought that I was giving her, but I didn't, and I didn't even realize there was a part of my heart that I wasn't giving her, it was a part of my heart that was, it was dead. It was dead from sin, and she couldn't touch it, she couldn't have it, and she couldn't fill it. But God could, and God did, because he is an everlasting, ever-loving God. So in December of 2002, God met me in my bedroom when both my girlfriend and I cried out to him together and asked him if the way we were living was wrong. It's an amazing story. Please go to my website and listen to it. But God answered us by taking us to his holy word. Here's these two lesbians or two gay identifying women that God meets one day right there in our bedroom and ministers to our heart so that we drop to our knees and cry out to him and ask him if he's real and if the way we're, we were living is wrong and he leads us to go get a Bible. I didn't even know we had a Bible in the house, but we did. We crawled up into the, actually we walked up into the attic and we're fishing through boxes and it's like, here's one. And we flipped through it. I'll just tell you real quick. We flipped. <laughs> I mean, we're here for three hours, so what's a couple minutes? Me. <laughs> so we're flipping through it, having no idea what to do with the Bible. And as God would have it, as we're flipping through, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Started getting a little angry because mm, that was my ammo. I'm like, let's just start reading here. And as God would have it, this page was Leviticus 18, and this area right here was verse 22, and Leviticus 18.22 says, a man shall not lie with a male as he does with a woman, it is an abomination. Now I want you guys to hear though, it says it is an abomination, not they are an abomination. There is a verse that talks about us being an abomination, and it's Proverbs 16.5 that says, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. So we all have an abomination verse. So hey, we're in this together. <laughs> so God took us to his word to heal us. He also took us to the New Testament in Romans chapter one, verses 26 and 27. But with that, with what God did through the Holy Spirit, meeting us, putting it on our heart to talk about the way we were living, leading us to his word, this is what he did. Psalm 107 verse 14 says, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. And verse 20 says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, what a good God he is. So then in January of 2003, both I and my girlfriend in, it's called Calvary Chapel Oldbridge, it's in New Jersey, shout out to Lloyd Pulley, and the whole church there that was so welcoming when we walked in looking like a typical lesbian couple. January 19th, 2003, both of us at the same time stood up front as Pastor Lloyd was praying and we both prayed we repented and asked God the Father to forgive us of our sins, for Jesus to be the Lord, that's important, the Lord and Savior in our life, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, right in that moment, everything changed. After a 24-year addiction to drugs and alcohol, it ended that day. I went from darkness to light, from deception to truth, truth that God loved me, and that changed everything. Immediately I gave him my sexual identity, my gender identity, and my girlfriend. Amen. What a good God. He had all of me now, and I'm telling you guys, it was a complete 180. It, everything in my life changed that day. And now I had a new identity in Christ Jesus. And I realized that God loved me in a way that no person ever could. So with that, with that understanding, I had less of a need to be someone else's everything, and I had a less of a need for them to be my everything because I knew that I just became 
his everything because I was told through the moving of the Holy Spirit, through the worship music that was played at church, and through the truth of the word of God that he loved me. So much so that he gave his life for me so that I could have an abundant life in him. And I'm telling you, man, if you're here and you haven't done that yet, you are missing out. There is nothing in this life that will bring you the freedom, the pleasure, and the joy that you will have in your salvation in Jesus Christ, but also your life in him. Life in Christ is so abundant so that when you have your worst day ever, you still and you have all this sorrow inside of you, you still have a joy because it's the joy of your salvation and not the joy of your circumstances. And it's, it, it's an inexpressible joy that First Peter talks about because he is our living hope and he has brought us to this place. He's bringing us to this place that's incorruptible and it's undefiled and it doesn't fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith ready to be revealed in the last day. In this you greatly rejoice. But now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials and the Lord knows that but it reveals the genuineness of our faith so that we believe in this God and we love this God that we haven't seen and that brings us an inexpressible joy because you know what we're gonna receive? The end of our faith, the salvation of our souls because when we go to be with Jesus, our faith, we don't have that faith anymore. We see him face to face. Please, Don't miss out on that because of these very understandable desires that you have that God wants to minister to you through who he is, through his person, through his Holy Spirit, and through the truth of his word. Even if that word slices and dices you, which it will, because he tells us so. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, he tells us his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts us, our joints and marrow, our thoughts and intents of the heart. But it's incision, it's an incision that is so sharp that when it cuts, it reveals the thoughts and intents of our hearts and he cleans that out and he replaces that with his truth and then he heals us and sews that up with his healing balm and we might have a scar from it but it'll never be a scar as big as the ones that he laid out his hands and his feet for to receive you into his kingdom. Please don't miss out on that, please. Well, that wasn't in my notes, (laughs) but that's for someone here, please, or for someone listening. So I was so excited to be his. I was devouring the word of God. I was growing like crazy in him so that I began to understand I could ask God very personal questions. And I did. I asked him where all my struggles came from. I asked him where my anger came from. I asked him why I marred my body the way I did. I asked him where the same-sex attraction, the gender confusion, I asked him where all of that came from. And he began to, in his perfect timing, piece by piece by piece, he began to show me. Sometimes you have to look backwards to be able to move forwards. Not dwell, but sometimes we just have to look where he's taking us or where he's allowing us to remember and see and be like, oh, okay. And then that will move us even further forward than if we didn't look. Sometimes you have to look backwards to be able to move forward. And as I was doing that, he was taking me there. He was showing me how much damage the sexual trauma that I endured for probably about 10 years when I was little, how much damage that had on me. And when it stopped at 12 years old, that's when I began with the drugs. I didn't know what to do. I didn't, "Mm, Lord, do you want me to share this or not? When the sexual trauma stopped, I was so thankful it stopped but I had been enduring it for so long, I didn't know what to do. 
with it stopping. And so I turned to the drugs and alcohol because I didn't know what to do. And if there's anyone here that has experienced any of that, if you're a man, please talk to Pastor Troy or one of the elders here. And if you're one of the women that's experienced that here, will you please talk to, to Rebecca? And they will talk with you and lead you and guide you into the uh, right community here in the church to walk with you through that. And I'm sorry if that's you that you've had to experience that. But I am a walking testimony that there is powerful, powerful, powerful healing from that. And it is scary to allow the Lord to take you through that, the, the understanding of it. But he will be right there with you every second of the way. And the healing that comes from that is more beautiful than the pain ever was. The Lord is intentional with his creation and his intentions are good and we know that he created us male and female with a specific intention to bring forth more life created in his image because that brings him glory. We were created for his glory. We were, we were created to worship him. So I, I know sometimes people are like, well, you know, people are born gay because it's just part of the fallen nature. And I personally don't agree with that. I don't believe that God creates us with a sexual or a gender orientation, which that's a whole new cultural language that's being used more and more, but it's, it's, it's new. It's new language, sexual orientation. Again, a whole nother session. But God in his word says it's that we're male and female and, and, and that's it. And then in our, our male and female body sexuality, he has very specific borders and boundaries for sex, sexual behavior within that. Everything outside of his boundary for sex is sinful, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual, and it can be harmful for us if we don't walk that out. And so we don't want to say that that's part of the fallen nature, that God created us that way, and then said, oh, by the way, it's, it's wrong. I don't believe that is who our God is. I've never read a single thing, and I've read through the Bible numerous times. I've never read a single thing in here that says, I've given you this type of sexual orientation, but I'm telling you not to walk out in it. That's not the loving God that I read of. And so we have to be careful when we say that. So like if someone, you know, would say blindness, being born blind is, is part of the fall. I don't agree with that. Sex or sexuality is an identity. Blindness is a disability, not an identity. So someone doesn't say, well, I'm a blind Christian and that's how God created me, the way we hear people saying, well, I'm a gay Christian, that's how God created me. It's very, very different. So we have to be mindful when we say these things. So I was asking God to show me where my same-sex attraction came from and he began showing me how my perception of certain events in my childhood led me to be deceived in my feelings and my attractions and especially in my attractions. So my perception led to deception, but God was showing me how to walk in his truth instead because truth brings life. Jesus doesn't just say to walk in truth. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. We walk in his way, which is truth, and he brings us that life. And the enemy of our souls is hitting us hard with deception, just like he did in the garden. But we, we have to bring truth to people because they're not going to get it anywhere else. And we don't have to be afraid to bring truth. The youth, more than ever now, they want truth because the whole world is lying to them and they know it. Doesn't mean they're gonna stop scrolling. They don't know what else to do. They were born with a pacifier and an iPad in their stroller. They don't know what else to do, but they know they're being lied to. Let's bring them truth. Let's set their phone down and hold their hand and take them to the park 
and tell them not just what the truth is, but who the truth is and how awesome he is. But when we bring truth, we have to understand that we're bringing it with grace and compassion. We have to bring it with grace and compassion. And they're hearing anything about sexuality except the truth. So we have to bring the truth of sexuality to them, especially that the Lord is specific with his intentions for sex and sexuality. Sex is amazing within his intentions. Otherwise, it's hurtful and damaging regardless of how physically and emotionally good it feels. Because anything outside of his creational boundaries is damaging whether it feels that way or not. But there's redemption for those of us who have fallen into sin sexually, come to the foot of the cross and lay that down before Jesus, please. But it's not always easy to convey truth about sexuality to someone who doesn't know the Lord or agree with his intentions, his good intentions concerning sex. So what do we do with that? How do we convey truth to people that are far from the Lord because they can't reconcile their very real sexual feelings to what the word of God says about sexuality? Well, we go to God's word, we go to prayer, we fast, and God's word tells us in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom. Wisdom for this time. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you know that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Ask God for wisdom. When you're talking with someone that identifies um, on any part of the LGBT acronym, as you're listening to their story, which I hope you do, be praying, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me a word of knowledge. Give me every spiritual gift for this particular conversation for this person. And I'm telling you, he will. Because he tells us, and we believe the word of God, that if we cry out for the Holy Spirit, he's going to give it. And he'll give you those gifts, and he'll give you that wisdom for that conversation. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 tells us, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. So this is what a servant is supposed to do. But then the verses continue on and tells us what happens when we do this. So we do this in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. Because you know what happened to them? That deception enemy came knocking on their door looking like the very thing they needed and they went, they invited him in and went out with him and now they're taken captive by this deceptive enemy that hates us. And so we want to show both grace and truth. So those two verses, the Colossians and the Second Timothy, we see both grace and truth in these two verses. And Warren Wiersbe says, Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. So my prayer for us as the body of Christ is that we face these intense personal and cultural issues with both grace and truth. Because for years, the church has been bringing truth only, which I get, but they're like throwing these truth bombs at people, and people are blowing up, and they're left there bleeding and without any help of what to do with this truth. We need to come with grace. If Jesus was filled with both grace and truth like we know John 1.14 says he was, then we can be too because we have the spirit of the living God in us. So we need to understand where people with same-sex attraction or a gay identity are coming from and what they're dealing with personally beyond their sexuality. Because there's a lot going on in their life that doesn't even have anything to do with their sexuality. Because you know what? There's a lot going on in everybody's life. 
There's a lot more to a person than their sexual identity. So where do we start? How do we minister to people that identify as gay or trans? We talk about it. So thank you, Pastor Troy, for allowing us to come together tonight and talk about this. We don't run from it. We don't hide from it. We can't. It's knocking at our front door now. And we have everybody here knows somebody that identifies as gay. And there's people here that have same-sex attraction that they're either trying to lay down before the Lord and surrender to him, or they're leaning towards taking that same-sex attraction and bringing it into their sexual identity. It's in the church and out of the church. It's everywhere, and we have to know how to minister to this. And I believe because it's becoming such a hot-button topic, God is going to use it for good because now we have no choice but to talk about it. That's how God works everything out for the good, so I just briefly want to talk about what it's like being gay, what a common root issue is of homosexuality, and what are some things to say and not to say. And it's pretty simple stuff, but what you're not going to hear is an ABC to-do list that will make somebody from the gay community all of a sudden repent and believe. Doesn't work that way. But what you are gonna hear is that people are people and we love and minister to them all the same, but in this, there are some specifics and that's what I'll just briefly share tonight. So I, I know sometimes people will say those people who struggle with same-sex attraction, um, people who identify as gay aren't struggling with same-sex attraction, they're embracing it, it's their identity. So um, um, if someone is, uh, part of the LGBT community, it would be beneficial if we're talking to them to not say words like struggle. If there's someone in the church that has unwanted same-sex attraction, then we do understand it is a struggle for them and we meet them and minister to them in that struggle. But for those who identify as gay, it's, it's just a normal part of their identity. It's what they can always remember having and experiencing. So it's their identity, it's not their struggle. So when they hear people say struggle, it, it off, it's often offensive to them. It's, it's their personhood. And so that's why, are you ready for this? Drum roll, please. Thank you. We should never say, please, um, love the sinner but hate the sin. I know that's a quip that we have been saying for years. Um, it, it's like nails on a chalkboard to those in the gay community. Um, to them, there's no separation of the two when we say love the sinner but hate the sin. They are what we call their sin. So who they are or their personhood, their identity, is what we call their sin in that statement. So what they hear is something like, you hate what you call my sin, which is who I am, so you must hate me too. So please take that out of your vocabulary if you use it. Um, not only is it offensive, it's actually, it's kind of impersonal. It doesn't get to the heart of the person. So while we know that homosexual behavior is sinful, they don't see it as such. So saying this isn't going to all of a sudden make them believe and repent. It's just gonna build a deeper, wider chasm between them and you or them in the church or unfortunately, maybe even them and God. We want to build people up in love. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge puffs up, puffs up, but love edifies or builds up. We wanna build people up so that they want what we have. So one of the common, there are some common root issues of, of those who have same-sex attraction and then oftentimes leading into a gay identity, but the cornerstone, I believe, through my experience of talking to people over the years, the cornerstone root issue that everything else is built up on is rejection whether it's real or perceived, it's rejection. I've been saved for, it'll be 19 years in January, and I still have to deal with rejection issues. It's the very place the enemy knows that he can still come and get at me. Oh, like, oh yeah, so-and-so, mm, they said they were gonna have lunch, but the last minute they said they couldn't because their daughter was coming over. I'm like, oh. They always say I'm family. I guess those are just words. 
If you're ministering to someone in your church with same-sex attraction or a friend who identifies as gay, please do everything you can to keep your plans with them. They need to know that they can trust you and count on you to be there because most likely someone from the church has let them down in the past because over 75% of people in the LGBT community have some type of a religious background, many of them being in the church, in the Christian church. So we have to be trustworthy with our time and commitments. And I want you to hear this because this is important. One of the best ways, because we're here to figure out how to minister to people, right? One of the best ways to minister to people is just to simply be available. And being available is more important than knowing what to say, at least in the beginning. And someone who has rejection issues, being available is probably the most important thing and the gentlest and the kindest and the most inviting thing you can do for them. Then once you're with them, once you're actually with them, then God will give you the words to say to them because remember, you're gonna pray. You're gonna pray for wisdom and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and yet God might just have you sit there and listen. Let them share their story without trying to fix them, please. It's not your job to fix them, nor can you. <laughs> That's God's doing. It's your job to just be there for them and listen to them and love them. So what are some ways of being available? Please hear this. Being available doesn't mean you have to have time because none of us have time, right? Being available doesn't mean you have to have time. Invite someone over while you're doing laundry or working around the house. Invite someone over when you have to go grocery shopping. Hey, you wanna go to Costco with me? You wanna help me with Costco? Listen, if you're a woman who has a, you know, three or two or three children and you have to go to Costco and you always wish your husband was home because you needed help, there's someone there that would love to go and help you. And it would minister to them and you just might build a friendship that God will use for his glory and you're going to be, uh, enjoy a friendship through this as well. Any amount of time you spend with someone who might feel less than because of past hurts or a sense of rejection will bless them. That will minister to them. And then while you're out, talk about what the Lord's been showing you or, or what you've been reading in your own personal devotions or what you've been struggling with. It's time that the church gets a little bit more transparent with the struggles that we have because the world thinks we're hypocrites for many reasons, but they also think that, that we think we're all that and that we don't struggle because we just keep it to ourselves. We're too ashamed to come to Bible study and get real and say, hey, this is what I need prayer for. We need to start doing that. And you don't have to be a bib biblical scholar and you don't have to have the answers as to why they might have same-sex attraction or why they think they were born gay. You don't need to know that. Spend time with them. Read the word with them. Tell them about what you read in the word and be excited about it. Even if it's part of the Bible that you don't understand, you can say, listen, I read these couple chapters in the Bible this morning and I gotta tell you, I was thrown for a loop. I have no idea what God was talking about. Hey, you wanna sit down and read it again with me? Maybe God will give you a word. So many people that I've ministered to uh, that are part of the church, they came out of the life and became part of the church, they tell me over and over again, they just wish someone from the church would spend time with them. They left the LGBT community, they left a really good community as far as knowing how to commune with each other, how to spend time with each other. And then they come to the church, especially if they still look gay, and nobody really wants to spend time with them. I have so many people tell me that the reason they left the church isn't because they miss the intimacy and the relationships that they had with their partner. They just say they miss the intimacy of friendship with the community because they're not really finding any of those friendships in the church. So be available. It will bless those with whom you surrender your life to through your time and your home and your lunches, all of that. It's all so important. 
and let people share their stories with you. It might be a story that you're not, that you've never heard before. Just sit and listen and realize if you were that person that you might have made the same decisions they did. But you had an opportunity to have a different life than they did because God chose something different for you, a different place to live, different circumstances. And we're all one or two decisions away from walking into sin that can beget more sin, that can beget more sin, and then we realize, how am I so far away from the Lord? We all have to take heed lest we fall. We really all the, are all the same. We're sinners in need of a savior, and, and there's, there's really two kinds of people, those who are still living under Adam and those who are living in Christ. And if we're living in Christ, we're supposed to be abounding in love to those who are still living under Adam in hopes that they will see that love and desire that as well. And please don't try to be the Holy Spirit in someone's sanctification. If you see someone that's come into the church that's maybe come out of the life and, and they still have a lot of the old life baggage on them, that's okay. They're here. Oh my gosh, they're here. Can you give the Holy Spirit a minute to minister to them and sanctify them? You love them right where they are and don't tell them to change their clothing or their mannerisms or all of that. They're just gonna run out that door and never come back. Minister to them right where they are. It took years of the women in my life after I got saved. It took years for me to be comfortable in my womanhood and my femininity. They never told me I had to change my clothes or walk a certain way or dress a certain way. They hung out with me. They spent time with me. They invited me into their homes to see what a, a, a marriage in Christ looks like. And then they prayed privately for the things that they think needed changing in me. And it was through their prayers that I'm standing here today embracing my femininity, not because they told me I had to. I would have ran in the other direction. I didn't get saved to become a woman. I didn't get saved to become straight. I got saved to become his. And that's where the joy is. And it takes all of our sanctific sanctification is a process so what do we do with folks that are outside of the church, like neighbors and coworkers? You know what, just minister to them right where they are. Invite your neighbors over to the barbecue. If, if, you, if, if your neighbors on this side of your house or on this side of the street a couple homes down is a heterosexual couple living together and you invite them to your barbecue, but you got the gay couple living over here on this end of the street, and you're like, well, they're in sexual sin, so I don't really want them around my kids. That is why the world tells us we're hypocrites. We are to love without hypocrisy. Don't be two-faced. If you don't want people who are in sexual sin in your home, don't invite either one of them. And then find out what your kids are watching on their computers, and you're probably gonna have to make them leave the home too, because they're probably in sexual sin. We really are all the same. We have to love and minister to people, but again, we do it with grace and truth. We do not compromise grace, grace for truth's sake, and we don't compromise truth for grace's sake. First uh, John, Chapter 4, 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Listen to this. This is verse 8 heavy, you guys. This is for us. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so 
Be available, show everyone that God brings into your sphere of influence, grace and truth. Grace first, because if you don't come with grace first, they're not gonna wanna hear your truth. Invite people into your time, into your home, if you so choose. And when people from the gay community start asking you about your joy and why you're different because you wanna just let who you are point to who he is, then just tell them, listen, I'm, I'm a mess. The only reason I can smile at days at work like this when we're having to make these huge decisions or possibly lose our job, the only reason I'm not caught up in the drama at the office and saying all the nasty things that everybody else is saying is because I have a God who loves me and he gave his life for me, so I just wanna continually lay down my everything before him and ask him for help. And you can say to them, trust me, I am nonstop praying all day to not open my mouth and be part of all the grumbling that we hear at the office. That's who my Jesus is. Do you wanna know him? Well, you know, I'm gay and, you know, Christians say that you can't, you can't, you know, that if you're gay, you're gonna go to hell. Well, no. God doesn't send anybody to hell. He saves people from hell. And if you want to be saved from that, surrender your life to him and just see what he does with all the rest. Because he will. If they truly surrender their life to the Lord, he will do all the rest. Because once they find out he loves them, that love won't fail. That love won't fail. And so can we love, can we love even if somebody might not receive the truth of Jesus Christ? Can we love even if someone might not receive the gospel? Mark 10, I'm gonna end with this. Mark 10, 17 through 22. Now as he, Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good that is but God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he, this rich man, answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Boy, he's deceived, isn't he? Then Jesus, even after saying this, I love this. Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasures in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. Those are hard words. But he, the rich man, was sad at this word and went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus knew this man was going to walk away and he loved him even still. Can we? Can we? Can we love and hope that that love never fails? Can we love knowing that that love will never fail? Some, that love will lead to redemption and some it won't but let's just treat everyone as if it will lead them to redemption.